Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on talk TV. (laughs) Well... That's been quite an interesting weekend, hasn't it? Um, On Friday afternoon, I received my first telephone call uh, from someone who shall remain nameless, uh, who said, didn't Nadine Doris appear on your show on Friday morning and say that she would never cause a by-election for the Tory party? I said, yep, that's exactly what she said. Uh, And then they said, uh, well, she's just resigned, uh, thereby causing a by-election. Right, Okay. so that was the beginning. Uh, Next thing I know, Boris Johnson has also resigned based on the fact that he was going to be found guilty uh, by the Standards Committee in the House of Commons. Harriet Harman in particular in charge of it. He said it was a kangaroo court. He said that it was unfair. He said that it was clearly biased. He said that he was therefore going to cause a by-election over the course of the next few months. Uh, There was number two. Uh, Pepper falling over. And then number three, of course, Nigel Adams came along uh, on Saturday, was it? Or Sunday, I can't remember. Uh, And he decided to resign as well. He's another Boris aficionado. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. One, Boris Johnson is finished. I don't think he is. Boris Johnson's never finished. uh, And even when you think he's finished, he's still going to come back around again for another go. Boris Johnson is now raging. Boris Johnson is now at the peak of his powers because there's nothing Boris Johnson likes better than a campaign. We know that, right? One of the things we know is that he might not be a great Prime Minister. He was a pretty good Mayor of London. But what he is good at is campaigning and winning. Julia Hartley Brewer doesn't think he's ever going to be back. I think she's wrong. Uh, I think he will be back. I think he will be back in some form or other, whether it's running the Conservative Party again after they lose the next election, whether it's just running uh, as the opposition, if you like, inside the Tory party to Rishi Sunak, because Rishi Sunak has dealt him a few blows. Rishi Sunak couldn't care less about Boris Johnson, and that was his mistake. Remember the Godfather? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He's basically put Boris outside the tent and he's about to do something out there uh, which Rishi Sunak is not going to enjoy on the inside. Meanwhile, as if that wasn't good enough, Nicola Sturgeon was arrested yesterday. Spent seven hours in police custody answering questions about her part uh, in the disappearance of some money. Now, according to the Scottish police, there is a sort of contempt of court order somehow involved in all of this. And there's much speculation that we cannot make about this particular scenario. But have we ever been in a place like this before, ladies and gentlemen, where the former prime minister of this country, a man that won an 80 seat majority, a man that got Brexit done for the world and for the British people, 
uh, has been literally hounded out of office by a load of pygmies who don't think uh, they are fit to wipe his shoelaces, never mind his shoes. We've got the former First Minister of Scotland, who used to call Boris Johnson corrupt, uh, being arrested and questioned for seven hours by Police Scotland. They were asking her all sorts of questions about motorhomes and bank accounts and other things. Seven hours. It's a long time to sit there being questioned. I mean, I do a three-hour radio show, which is a breeze because it's so funny and delightful and entertaining. However, sitting in a police cell stroke interview room, you know, interview started at 7.45 a.m. Subject, Nicola Sturgeon, former First Minister and head of the Scottish Nationalist Party. Sorry, Scottish National Party. Sorry. You know... Anyway, Richard Tice is here. He's described by Trevor Kavanagh as the genial talk TV host, Richard Tice. If that's not going to finish his career off, I don't know what is. But maybe he's going to have to step aside for Boris Johnson, because Trevor Kavanagh says maybe Boris should be the head of the Reform Party. But Richard's going to tell us what he makes of it all. Uh, he's going to be particularly specific about what exactly happened and why Nadine Dorrance's name disappeared from the list, why it was uh, that suddenly she's not being elevated to the House of Lords in the same way as Alok Sharma isn't. It's outright war in the Tory party, by the looks of things. Meanwhile, Peter Hitchens is here. He's going to talk to us about sex education. Meanwhile, there's another doctor's strike coming up this week, so we're going to talk to Roy Lilly about that. And Tom Newton-Dunn's going to pop in to give us the latest news from Westminster. And Alex Crowley as well, former Boris Johnson advisor, a man who knows a thing or two about common sense. I mean, I don't know where to start, really. I mean, this is the busiest Monday we've had for a while, and it's been pretty busy, let me tell you. Is the end of the political world nigh? By the way, I'm hoping that all of you survived over the course of the weekend and none of you died as a result of the extreme heat. <laughs> I myself took the dog for a walk on the beach and he had a very nice time paddling in the shallows. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. And uh, also, I had the fan on a little bit last night, but no big deal. He, sh- he shut up after a while. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. And of course, let us get it on. So, we haven't even talked about the migrants yet and stopping the boats, but we'll get to that. Let us say a very good morning to the genial Talk TV host, Mr. Richard Tice. Richard, a uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Mike. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> delighted to be called genial. Man. Things are looking up. I've yeah. been called a lot worse. He, he obviously doesn't know you as well as I do. He obviously doesn't know you as well as I do, but that's another story. Clearly. Um, <laughs> um, but listen, it may well be you now have to step aside, according to him, to make way for the great Boris Johnson, uh, who would like to now form himself into something more centre-right than, than he's in at the moment. I think uh, Trevor's enjoyed speculating after, as you say, what's been an extraordinary... Uh, three days of of politics, and uh, uh, maybe people are just getting a little bit, a um, little bit overexcited, a little yeah. bit uh, possibly confused, because of course the reality is that uh, whilst what we share with Boris is that we are Brexiteers, uh, we're we're the party that actually knows how to do it properly. That's the key thing, right? Uh, in terms of getting Brexit done properly, and to do that, you've actually got to you've got to properly. Uh, cut taxes, go for growth, cut daft regulations and control your borders. And here's the big difference that I think people are uh, are forgetting, which is that, you know, our policy is to have net. The only net zero we want in this country, right, is net zero immigration. Yes. And uh, let's be clear, Boris Johnson, under his uh, his leadership of the Conservative Party, uh, they essentially created what amounts to an open borders policy. 
Uh, and then the other uh, key thing, of course, is, is the issue of net zero itself. Uh, we believe that net zero should be scrapped. We believe that it's incredibly damaging to uh, our economy and to our jobs and our money, and we should be using the energy treasure under our feet and around our shores. Whereas, of course, uh, the, the former prime minister of the, and leader of the Conservative Party, Boris, he, uh, he actually believes the opposite. Mm. He believes that net zero is, is the answer. So there's some pretty significant fundamental differences that I think um, people have rather forgotten about. No, I get that. But, but is a wounded Boris Johnson not a more dangerous animal? As I said at the start of the show, you know, one thing we know that he's great at is bearing a grudge and having a campaign to run. You know, he may not be as good at running the country uh, as he was at getting to be the man that was running the country. But what he is good at is campaigning. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if he comes knocking at your door and says, what can we do, not just to uh, to get him back to the top of politics, but to get back at the Conservative Party that he believes has betrayed him. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that people are uh, talking about reform, they're writing about reform and viewing us as what we are, which is a serious determined, credible force. And we will shape and influence events of that, there is no doubt. And look, our door is welcome to those who believe in our values and our policies, of course. Uh, and and the more the merrier, the more we get, then the more votes we get, then the, the more seats we get at the general election. It's it's as clear, as simple as that. And, right. uh, you know, whether, whether people see the light coming from different parties or no parties, uh, that's fine, but they've got to buy into uh, what we stand for. We stand for common sense politics. Yeah. You and I have talked about at great length. Absolutely right. And lots of people uh, are looking for that common sense in politics. Lots of people say to me, as you well know, Richard, and they say to you as well, that they're fed up with the two-party system. They're sick to death of Labour and Tory uh, policies because neither one of them really has much to offer them, whereas reform now does. And the problem reform has is how do you get it out there? How do you get enough representation? Nigel Farage was on Laura Kunzberg yesterday morning saying basically the same thing, saying that, you know, what we need in this country is a party of the centre-right. And even he was suggesting that Boris Johnson might join it. And I know that Nigel at the same time says basically, you know, he doesn't have any official um, role in the Reform Party. Um, and I, I enjoyed Michael Howard, uh, who is now so out of touch with the world that uh, he's in the House of Lords, <laughs> saying, oh, well, you know, Nigel's very good at uh, causing mischief and being mischievous. And that's what he's doing. But this is a this is a proper story for me politically. Yeah, look, I mean, people are talking and people are speculating. Uh, but I come back to the fund fundamental point. We came out of the Brexit party. We're the only people that stand to do Brexit absolutely properly and solidly. And that's the whole United mm. Kingdom not leaving Northern Ireland handcuffed to the European Union, which is what the Conservatives and Boris and indeed has been accentuated and made worse by Rishi Sunak. Um, look, our, my position is our position is clear. Mike, uh, if people want to subscribe to our values and our policies, then uh, that's fantastic. The faster we grow, the more publicity we get, the more people talk about us and people start to take us ever more seriously. Mm. And that's what obviously we want. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about why this rift happened and why Boris Johnson became obsessed with the kind of betrayal. Um, we've got a clip here from this morning of Rishi Sunak being asked about the honours list and Boris Johnson. He was at a tech summit. Let's have a look at what he said. And look, when it, when it comes to... You know, honours and, and Boris Johnson. Look, Bo Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because I didn't think it was right. 
Uh, that was to uh, you know, either overrule the HOLAC committee or to make promises to people. Now, I, I wasn't prepared to do that. As I said, I didn't think it was right. And if people don't like that, then tough. So he thought it was okay to give his hairdresser um, a, uh, an honour. He thought it was okay to give lots of other people honours, including some who had been party to some slightly dodgy things going on inside of Downing Street. But he didn't think it was good to give Nadine Dorries an honour, or Alok Sharma, uh, and a few other people. We're told eight people had their names removed. Now, Grant Shapps was on with Coonsberg yesterday. He denied that those names were altered by anybody inside Downing Street. What are you hearing? Uh, I think that I'm afraid the the pattern of not telling the truth is continuing in number 10 because the information that I've got, uh, which is well sourced, is that actually it was uh, people inside number 10 who changed that list some time ago uh, before it went to the House of Lords appointment uh, committee. And uh, that was done uh, primarily uh, in order to, actually, bizarrely, to prevent by-elections. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, it's had exactly the opposite effect. So uh, there's, there's no question that uh, a number of people are not telling the truth here in this situation. Now, many people might say, why does it matter? Well, I think the point is that the truth does matter, and some extraordinary people have been given peerages, uh, who, frankly, people have never heard of, mm. and you say, what's your qualification, etc. And so there is a great deal of disquiet. Uh, I, I, my, my, from what I'm hearing, uh, I believe that number 10 is not telling the truth in this situation. And uh, from events that happened uh, that I know of yesterday, it's quite clear number 10 is panicking because of, uh, of, of this discussion. Uh, that's why Sunak has said what he said uh, this morning, uh, I've no doubt at all uh, that uh, they are uh, that they're just not telling the truth about yeah. what's really happened. Well, at the very but, least, it seems they're obfuscating the truth. And for Rishi Sunak, that's a massive problem because he got himself into Downing Street, into number 10, uh, on the promise of transparency, on the promise of honesty and on the promise of integrity. Um, uh, all, th th all, honest, all three uh, of which words seem to have been uh, somewhat misconstrued. I'm afraid that actually worse than that. I think he's told uh, more untruths and fibs uh, than his predecessor, because if you look at his leadership campaign, I mean, there's, a, there's more than half a dozen pledges that he made that mm. he's now U-turned on. Yeah. So, no, I, I, uh, I, and as for his explanation, for example, about the, the effect of the Windsor framework, I mean, that was a complete mis-selling job. So, look, he's, he's very smooth, he's very slick, but I, I don't think the truth is coming out of number 10 about this no. particular issue. Frankly, I'd like to abolish the whole of the House of Lords. I think this whole thing is yeah. it, it's an outrage. Um, most of all, uh, it leads to some, some really dodgy decisions and the ability just to buy peerages, which well, we know happens. Yeah, absolutely right. Stay where you are, Richard. I've got some more things to ask you about. Not least, uh, one of the people who's been elevated to the House of Lords, Sean Bailey. I'm not quite sure what he's done to deserve it. Uh, and also, um, Paul Scully. Um, the MP for um, Sutton, who apparently has now had to withdraw or has not been uh, put forward as a mayoral candidate to go up against Sadiq Khan. It's all very murky stuff. Uh, Richard Tice is here. Uh, the genial uh, Talk TV host is what I'm always going to call him from this point on. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have more from Richard and myself coming up next. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Richard Tice, leader of the Reform Party, uh, of course. Piece of the Sun today by Trevor Kavanagh, a man with his finger very firmly on the pulse of people's politics in this country. Uh, it says, could a reformed Boris lead reform? Um, Richard Tice isn't sure about that. Uh, they don't have an awful lot in common. How about this from Arthur, who says, Boris is like a man who's good at going to the supermarket, but when he gets there, he forgets what he went to buy which I think is quite a good summation of Boris Johnson. But you can never write him off. You can never say never with him. You can never, especially now, and I said this at the weekend, um, Richard, that when uh, Boris was uh, around just a week ago, I wasn't sure that he wanted to come back and run the party. But I think now he's got something to prove. You should never write him off. That is for sure. Uh, He is a, uh, he's a campaigner and he's won many elections. And whatever anybody else thinks of him, as I indicated yesterday on my show, Mike, mm. he is—he has been a very significant political figure in the last 15 years in the United Kingdom. No ifs and no buts. He—he yeah. uh, he was a very successful, by and large, mayor of London. Obviously, he helped with the referendum campaign for Brexit, and he—he uh, he, thanks to what we did as the Brexit Party, he was able to get a decent majority, so that we did actually technically leave the European Union. In a sense, so whatever you think, he has had a, a massive influence and uh, he, he loves politics. So who knows what happens? Uh, but I, uh, I suspect those that just say he's going to shuffle off and write books and give speeches mm. around the world. Uh, it's um, uh, that, that, that is probably that, that less doesn't that doesn't feed that doesn't feed his ego enough, does it? I don't think. And that's and that's the point. And isn't it interesting that, that you speak you, you speak about his job uh, running the mayor's office in London because the mayor's office in London now has been embroiled in all of this because Paul Scully, uh, who was previously thought to be probably the most high profile individual who had been sort of nominated as a possible Tory candidate, has apparently not had his name moved forward. What's that all about? This is utterly extraordinary because the Tory long list of eight names that we knew about uh, was was a bunch of people that, frankly, nobody had ever heard of, mm. with the possible exception, if you've really been paying attention, of Paul Scully, Conservative MP for Croydon and Minister for London. Mm. So he was the front runner. Uh, he was the sort of the bookies' favourite. He hasn't even made the shortlist of three, which is made up of, of Susan Hall, uh, a, a chap called Daniel Korski, that again, most people haven't heard of. Right. Some people have heard of, uh, of Susan, who I know you have on your show. And then uh, a gentleman that, that no one has heard of, who wasn't even on the long list, um, and uh, doesn't even have any form of social media platform. Uh, he's a barrister at King's Council, clearly very well qualified and eminent, um, but just came completely left field. And I think everyone's just left utterly bemused. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, from our perspective of reform, we've got a fantastic candidate in Howard Cox who stands for getting London moving. And uh, I think that, um, you know, we, we are the clear candidate that can that get Sadiq Khan out. Right. I mean, I find it interesting that, uh, that Scully has, has been taken off the list, if you like. I mean, do you think this is Boris related as well? Do you think this has got something to do with more by-elections that they don't want to have? Or is it something to do with loyalists who are friends with Boris? Because I think Paul Scully was, was in Boris's uh, cabinet at one point. Uh, look, all sorts of skullduggery continues within the civil war of the Tory party. And so that is quite possible, given the timing. Uh, but... Um, it's, uh, it is pretty extraordinary, given that he was literally the bookie's favourite. And um, yeah, I don't think any of them uh, had or have a chance of defeating Khan. 
So, uh, but it's just, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's symptomatic of a Tory party that it's in complete turmoil. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, just uh, moving track for a moment, I don't know whether you were ever invited to one of Silvio Berlusconi's bunga bunga parties, but um, uh, he's passed away this morning in the Ridge No More. And the first thing that everybody thought of, and everybody around the office just started going, that's the end of the Bunga Bunga parties. I mean, this was a guy who, um, he was a fascinating character. He ran uh, a media empire at the same time as being a right-wing Italian politician, a very successful one. Um, he had his flaws, again, a figure who, who was in quite a bit of trouble from time to time. He ended up in the European Parliament, though, didn't he? I think, I think uh, obviously, uh, someone like that passing, it's, it's a sad day for his family and friends. He was a huge figure yeah. in... Italian politics, and it's, I think it's fair to say that he was in, in Italian uh, politics and to do business. He was a larger-than-life character. He was a colourful personality uh, in every uh, in every way. That <laughs> let's put it like that. And um, uh, I, yeah, I, he would be. I'm sure it, for all those sort of reasons that you've just touched on, um, that type of personality is is missed. They're few and far between. It becomes ever harder uh, to be a character in any, any form of public life. And uh, yeah, it's um, well, a, a pretty, um, pretty significant uh, day and passing for Italian Yeah, politics. I mean, God, God help us from uh, and, and and preserve us from the likes of Ed Davey and Keir Starmer in in place of Silvio Berlusconi and Boris Johnson. I'm sorry, you, I know, I know what I prefer. Gonna... You're never going to think of those two and bunga bunga parties, <laughs> are you? <laughs> uh, you really are not. You would not want to go to any party that Keir Starmer was at, uh, or indeed one that Ed Davey was uh, was was involved in either. Final, I, I guess we haven't even mentioned, I mean, all of this has been going on. We haven't even mentioned Nicola Sturgeon getting arrested, for heaven's sake. I mean, just, th- this, uh, this goes on and on. It's been a long time, this investigation. And I think many people expected that she would be uh, summons to be asked questions. Mm. Uh, she's put out a statement uh, professing that she, she's completely uh, convinced of her innocence yeah. of any wrongdoing, and we must, of course, uh, respect that. It, the whole thing is extraordinary. Politically, though, it, it continues to be incredibly damaging for the SNP. I'm delighted about that as a very firm, strong unionist. Mm. Uh, and I think the, the independence cause is, frankly, uh, is done. It's dead and buried, and uh, and and frankly, uh, I think that helps uh, the United Kingdom political scene enormously. Yes, uh, we should now get on to re- making sure that Scotland is run properly because at the moment, sadly. It's been run appallingly by the SNP in Holyrood. Yeah, I think the uh, Scottish police went looking for the independence campaign in uh, Nicola Sturgeon's garden and couldn't find it. So uh, nobody knows where it's gone. But anyway, um, (laughs) final question. Um, Apparently, Just Stop Oil, it's just just been revealed and their protests over the previous six weeks from now have cost the Metropolitan Police four and a half million quid. Should we not just send a bill to Dale Vince? Uh, Completely, I think we should actually. We should say, "Hey, hey, Dale, you've got... Uh, pots of money. Why are you consuming taxpayers' cash? Why are you making mm. decent, hard-working tradespeople and and parents taking kids to school suffer in this way? You write the check. You write the bill, my friend. Yeah. Because uh, you know you're so pro this. What I would do, I'm absolutely clear. And they're out, they're out again this morning. I think they're selfish, juvenile jerks. I think they should all be locked up uh, under existing laws. The 1980s Highway Act. It's there. It doesn't need new legislation. The police need to do the job they're paid for and lock them all up for 51 weeks. No ifs, no buts. And guess what? 
this will soon stop. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Richard. Absolutely right. You get my vote for that one. Thank you very much indeed. Richard Tice, he'll be back, of course, with us later in the week. Uh, he'll be on, uh, I'm sure, throughout the course of this week because reform is the story today uh, because Boris Johnson is looking for a way to get revenge. And you know what Boris Johnson is like. He will not stop until he gets that revenge. And he may well get it as part of the reform party. Richard Tice, thank you very much indeed. Coming up, we're going to find out what's going on north of the border. Uh, Michael Blakely is going to join us, Scottish political editor of the Daily Mail. Susan Hall, by the way, coming on with us tomorrow. Uh, she's going to be um, a Tory candidate, possibly the Tory candidate, to go up against Sadiq Khan at the next mayoral election here in London. So... You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's all happening, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely unbelievable weekend. Incredible uh, developments in the world of politics. And we'll be talking more about that as the time goes on this show. Christine in Surrey says, Mike, Westminster better get its house in order because the electorate is being treated with utter contempt for a start. The honours list must be scrapped. It is a scam. And Johnson should not get one nominee through after two lamentable years. How dare he? Scrap lobbying, an opportunity for corruption. I do not see any integrity within the establishment. There is so much self-interest. By the way, Brexit has most certainly not been delivered. The establishment, specifically the civil service, made sure of that. Uh, and here's one from Mark. As a Tory member, I voted to install Johnson as leader. However, he lost my support when he supported Hancock with his unbelievably arrogant, nothing to see here, move on statement. I left the party after the trust coup and joined reform. The notion of Johnson joining reform is absurd. Uh, Gerald says, Mike Graham, tell the genial Richard Tice that reform and others must unite with Boris. Together, they will annihilate the Conservative Party. Individually, they will fizzle out. Well, this is the point. There's an awful lot to play for here. And I think we've said many, many times over the course of the last few months and possibly even last couple of years, the Conservative Party has ceased to be Conservative. You know, they haven't got a decent immigration policy. They haven't got a decent tax policy. They haven't got a decent policy to fix the NHS. They haven't got a decent policy uh, to protect our borders. Uh, and they have not encouraged small business. And those are all things that the Tory party is supposed to do. And if they can't do it, then somebody else should do it for them. Right? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Michael Blakely, Scottish political editor of the Daily Mail. Michael, a very good morning to you. Hey, good morning, mate. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, that was quite a weekend. Nicola Sturgeon questioned for seven hours or so, uh, having been arrested by police Scotland. What's the situation? Well, it was a pretty astonishing development. Admittedly, probably didn't come as a surprise that that moment was going to happen, given that there were three names on the SNP's accounts and two of them had already been arrested and interviewed under caution by police. So yes. it, a, a lot of people felt it was a matter of time before Nicola Sturgeon faced that questioning. But that doesn't take away from the fact that that was a, a huge bombshell de development yesterday. The fact that you've got the longest-serving First Minister of all time being arrested and questioned by police in relation to an investigation into the SNP's funding and finances. So a, a really, really big development that could have huge ramifications for the SNP and Scotland. 
politics. Right. I mean, her statement, as you say, when she came out yesterday, to find myself in the situation I did today when I'm certain I have committed no offence is both a shock and deeply distressing. I know that this ongoing investigation is difficult for people and I'm grateful that so many continue to show faith in me and appreciate that I would never do anything to harm either the SNP or the country. Obviously, given the nature of this process, I cannot go into detail. However, I do wish to say this and to do so in the strongest possible terms. Innocence is not just a presumption. I am entitled to it in law. I know beyond doubt that I am in fact innocent of any wrongdoing. I mean, that is quite a statement to put out there, given that Police Scotland have asked people not to speculate on what it was that she was being questioned about or what it was that she may or may not have told them. But what, what are you hearing about why it took them so long to actually arrest her? Why was there such a big gap between the questioning of her husband, Mr Murrell, and her? Yeah, that is a, a little bit unclear because there, there was also a gap, a much shorter gap of only uh, a week or so between the arrest of Peter Murrow and the re arrest of the former treasurer. Right. Uh, so ev everyone was scratching their heads. They knew that this day was coming and everybody was wondering just why it was taking so, so long. I mean, we can only assume that uh, it was in relation to evidence gathering and this was always the process that the police were going to, to follow. Um, but in terms of that, that statement from Nicola Sturgeon, it was quite surprising just how far she went in insisting uh, that that she she uh, knows she believes beyond doubt that she is innocent. Uh, because as as you say, people are being warned against commenting in much detail on the investigation. So it, it was interesting. It pro possibly suggests a a concern that she has and people in the SNP have that there's reputational damage just by this process. Um, so Nicola Sturgeon believes that she'll be cleared of any wrongdoing. She won't won't face charges in relation to anything. We just need to wait and see whether that is the case. No, true. I mean, obviously, Hamza Youssef was on the BBC uh, yesterday morning with Laura Kunzberg um, just a few hours before, uh, maybe just a couple of hours, actually, before Nicola Sturgeon was actually arrested. Um, and he clearly didn't have a clue. He said that he thought she was in a good place. He thought that everything was fine. Uh, he didn't seem to give the impression that the SNP was hemorrhaging money and or votes. But I think it's hemorrhaging both, isn't it? That has, there has been an indication of support going down in the, the polls, certainly. And I think there's a bit of growing pressure on Hamza Youssef today as, as well, because it has been the case in some of these previous police investigations involving SNP politicians that the politician will resign from the party as the process goes on uh, or will be suspended by the party until the police investigation concludes. And that's not been the approach that Hamza Youssef has taken. His former her leadership rival Ash Reagan has been talking this morning about how she believes that Nicola Sturgeon should resign and if she doesn't do that then uh, Hamza Youssef should consider suspending him. So it's it's just another issue that hangs over Hamza Youssef. He's had such a torrid time of it since he became Nicola Sturgeon's successor mm. and now he's he's got constant questions about Nicola Sturgeon, about the police investigation and it's not going to help them at all and you know you've got Labour out campaigning today in uh, Rutherglen and Hamilton West where they're hoping that there will be a by-election into the former SNP MP Margaret Ferrier and they have a real confidence that they can do real damage to the SNP and take quite a number of seats off them. Right. And Angus McNeil MP yesterday more or less called for Nicola Sturgeon to be suspended while this process goes on. He said this soap opera has gone far enough. Nicola Sturgeon suspended others from the SNP for an awful lot less time for political distance until the investigation ends either way. 
I think what what we take from some of that is that it used to be so rare for there to be dissent in the SNP. You you used to never have any of their politicians looking to uh, to speak out about the way things are things are going, and that has completely changed in recent years. Over. For a number of years, uh, really since the allegations about Alex Salmond emerged, you've seen real splits develop in the SNP. And now that you have people like Angus McNeil, uh, like uh, Ash Reagan as well, uh, demanding action in relation to Nicola Sturgeon, it just shows how divided the SNP is on, on the way that the party has been run at the moment. Yeah, and so what happens next? I mean, they seem to be taking an age with this police investigation. They've they've previously been searching inside the Sturgeon's house, inside their garden. They've been in the SNP offices. You know, I mean, I know the police are pretty tight-lipped about all of this, but how long do they expect us to wait before they can pronounce something? Well, they're not being definitive at all about timescales. I mean, it's been two years already that this investigation has uh, been proceeding. It, it does seem like it's very much been stepped up over the, the recent weeks and months. And uh, we, we, we can only speculate at this stage, though, as to, to when it, there's going to be a, a conclusion to it. Until that point, though, it's certainly going to hang over the head of Hamza Yusuf and he's going to continue to need to battle this this crisis engulfing his party mm. and and also the crisis which means that the SNP is now less popular than the idea of independence well that is a interesting issue as well because that that's never been the case in in the past it's always in the past been the case that the SNP has been a bit more popular than the the idea of independence right. and it, it does seem to be turning and maybe there's a threat there for the SNP. Certainly you have uh, some of the uh, politicians in ALBA party, Alex Salmon's party, yeah. that have been talking up about the, 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 the need to move on from the SNP to not let the SNP damage the cause of independence. Mm. And I think, I mean, that possibly there's a bit of opportunism from ALBA. They're obviously starting from a very, very low level and they have a long, long way to go before they become any sort of major threat to the SNP. But it's one to keep an eye on. If if ALBA parties start to, to rise, if the independence vote starts to be split in the way that the pro-union vote has been in recent years, then that's potentially extremely damaging for the future of the SNP. Absolutely right. Michael, thanks very much for joining us. Michael Blakely there, Scottish political editor of the Daily Mail up there north of the border. Some real problems for Humza Useless, as you say, uh, and some real problems as well for Nicola Sturgeon. She says that she is innocent. She says that she has nothing to fear from the police investigation. But seven hours in a police cell being questioned yesterday after being arrested uh, following the arrest of her husband, Peter Murrell, who was, of course, the CEO, the chief executive of the SNP. Uh, questions about missing monies, questions about donations that might have gone south. Also, I saw a story this week that was in the Sunday Mail a couple of weeks ago uh, in which it said that uh, the police are also probing currently money that was maybe left to the SNP in wills, because one of the things that was quite successful that Nicola Sturgeon did was she convinced people to basically leave the SNP money in a will. So they benefited from uh, uh, many wills to the tune of several hundred thousand pounds. Dean says this, Mike, I just had a cracking idea. How about if Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage and Richard Tice joined forces and formed a party for the next general election? Trouble is, who's going to be the leader? They're all charismatic, egotist characters, so they might clash on that point. Well, they might. But imagine if they did that. Boris Johnson, Richard Tice, Nigel Farage. I think a lot of people would vote for that party, don't you? 
This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I hope Richard Tice does not let Boris Johnson become a member of the Reform Party, says Bart in Kent, as we will never vote for any party that Boris Johnson is a member of. Boris Johnson can never be trusted. He is a liar. Uh, he ruined Brexit. Well, I have to say there's a lot of people with a lot of views on Boris Johnson. Janice in Staffordshire says... We had sex ed in the early 70s, aged 14 years, but we already knew where and how babies were from by the time we were eight, by listening to grown-ups. Well, I suppose so. Uh, hi, Mike. What was the book uh, Peter recommended regarding the Somme? I think he said Covenant of Death, uh, but couldn't quite catch the name of the author. Uh, thank you, says Paulie. It's Covenant with Death. I'll try and get you the name of the author. Um, John Harris, was it? John, John Harris, yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's what it is. A um, couple of other things uh, to say to you. Uh, Boris has nothing in common with Reform UK who should not accept him. The best Boris can do is finally to split the Tories so that the majority of Liberals and Socialists there go to Labour and Lib Dems and Boris can load, uh, lead the remaining Trump of Conservatives. Well, I'm not sure. Tim says, Mike, Boris Johnson's problem is he has no convictions to any policy. He bends whichever way the political wind blows. Also, the reforms that he is uh, involved in and diesel cars. Well, I'm not sure that makes an awful lot of sense, but I think I know what you mean. 0344 499 1000 is the number to talk to us uh, on. And we want to hear from all of you and more of you are getting on the phone every single day because we are the voice of reason. We are the voice of common sense. And of course, we are the one place where you get the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, it might surprise you to learn that there's another strike this week, uh, but it's not the railways. Um, it's not, in fact, the uh, teachers, um, but I'm sure they'll be along soon. No, this one is another junior doctor's strike, and they're about to go out once again uh, in order to prove their worth to the NHS, and I think it's absolutely an utter disgrace. Uh, Roy Lilly is here, former NHS Trust chairman. Let's find out uh, what the effect is likely to be. Roy, very good morning to you. Mike, good morning. So, um, they're determined, aren't they, these doctors, to cause as much ructions as they possibly can. And I think the last time the junior doctors went on strike, they did it in such a way that they ended up being off for about a week. It was around about Easter, I think. Um, and very cynically, they just kind of went and sort of bookended a, a big, long bank holiday weekend, which meant that people who had got um, procedures and had got appointments just had to have them cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Here we go again. I mean, as far as the NHS is concerned, they've kind of uh, got the hang of strikes now, yeah. you know, from the management point of view. I mean, when when strikes were first mooted, I mean, the nurses went on strike for the first time in you know since Florence Nightingale, and the junior doctors hadn't been on strike since 2016, I think. But and I mean, the managers all kind of thought, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? And there was a huge number of meetings and strategies put in place and what have you. But now, of course, they know what to do. Uh, and what you do is you protect the front door, your blue light service. So whoever you've got, you bung on the front door. Everything else gets stalled, stopped or cancelled. You get the minimum cover on the wards and you just kind of muddle through. So yeah. that's what they'll do. But the thing is this, Mike, uh, and this is what I think people are missing. Although it is true for the junior doctors to say, well, you know, the consultants will cover the your, the critical areas, which is right. What's missing here is that since the strikes have begun, nearly 700,000 people have been shoved off the waiting list. Their turn has come. They've had the letter in the post that says, sorry, we're not going to do your hip or your knee or your hernia or your cataract or whatever it is, because there's a strike. So they get shoved to the back. Now, I mean, they were only where they were on the list because of their clinical need. Now, their clinical need gets swept to one side 
because everybody's on strike and there's nothing that managers can do other than cancel lists. And so I think there's a huge amount of hidden damage being done to patients that nobody's talking about. Well, that's the trouble. And I think the... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Common sensical approach by most individuals now in this country is that, you know, if they want to go on strike, as you say, they've kind of they'll put up with it, but they don't sympathise with it very much. I mean, the NHS leaders, uh, people like the BMA, always say, "Oh, we've got a lot of public support." I don't think they have, you know. And judging by the reaction I see from people, they're sick to death of it. More and more people are having to go private. Even if they can't afford it, they're trying to raise the money to do so. Or they're going abroad, which is obviously, you know, taking your life in your hands in many ways. But that's what's happening. Yeah, uh, yeah People are giving up on the NHS, in other words. Yeah, well, well they are. I mean, the, the, the incidence of people now doing what we call self-pay in the private sector is going through the roof. Right. And, of course, the, uh, the NHS has contracts with the private sector to help get waiting lists down. I mean, we do more contracts now in the NHS with the private sector than we did before the pandemic. So, that, you know, there's, there's a plenty of, plenty of uh, uh, contracts going on. But, of course, you see, the private sector now are being able to sell hip operations mm. and everything else at a premium. Mm. Because where they, when they work for the NHS, they have to work at what we call tariff. That's the amount the NHS pays itself internally, which is a lot less than they can get for a premium patient uh, paying privately in their hospitals for a hip. I mean, the difference is about three or 4,000 quid, more in some cases. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the private sector is, is rubbing its hands. People are syndicating you know putting it all on their credit card and see if their family can get granny a new hip and all the rest of it people are taking out their pension funds and why not i absolutely understand it the nhs is like on its knees with this really the political pressure on the nhs is horrendous because the prime minister one of the five things he's promised is is to get waiting lists down well of course every time there's a strike every time that the secretary of state doesn't intervene and try and end the blooming strikes what happens the waiting lists go up again and you know what's going to happen the nhs will get it in the neck yeah, they will. And I mean, the problem for, I suppose, the government is that they're always accused by every union that they're not talking to them, they won't offer them anything, it's not a fair fight and all of that. I mean, I don't know what else Steve Bartley's meant to do. There's quite a few unions, nursing-wise, who have accepted a new pay deal. The Royal College of Nursing isn't one of them, but lots of the other ones have. So it's clearly not necessarily the government's fault, is it? 
Well, I, I, I think Barclay handled it badly from the start by saying that he wouldn't discuss uh, uh, any of these claims all the time. There yeah. was a strike in the offing and all the rest of it. And that prejudiced the relationship he had with the RCN. It's true. The RCN backpedaled, though. I mean, they went on strike for 19 percent. Then their leader, Pat Cummins, kind of ended up negotiating with herself, really saying, yeah. oh, well, you know, not 19 will take talk to me about 10 and you know talk to him about anything just talk to me and of course he ended up with five percent which was all there was on offer and and so she recommended it to the members and the member said sorry love it's not enough right. and now of course the junior doctor and then she then disagreed with her own recommendation and said she well, was wrong I mean, to have she, made it she's in a very difficult position i mean she she negotiated the deal and said look this is the best i can get the nurses said, not good enough, go back and try again. So mm. now they're balloting to see if the nurses want to strike again. Now, I get, I think it's borderline. I'm not sure if the nurses have an appetite for more striking. But here's the thing. If the nurses do go on strike, and it is then possible that, that without any sort of um, sinister arrangements, the nurses and the doctors could end up striking in the same week mm. or even on the same day. And that, I mean, that's just horrendous. We'd have to close hospitals if that happened. Yeah. But that is a possibility. Well, just like bank holidays then. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's worse than a bank holiday. I mean, we'd, we'd have to go back to the gold plan, the gold, uh, uh, gold command plans that we had during COVID. Right. But, I mean, Barclays now, I, I, I detected over the weekend, I saw one of the uh, junior doctors being... Um, uh, interviewed, I think it was on Sky, where he was saying, well, it was put to him, 35% was too much of a lump. And he said, well, we would, we would, we realise that we've got to have some kind of a, a deal, um, a phase deal. And that's the first time I've heard him say a phase yeah. deal. You and I have had a conversation about this before, and mm. I said I think it would end in a phase deal. So here's the plan. If, if, if you're Barclay, Steve Barclay, you say, okay, we'll get you back. We'll get you to 20%. We'll do 5% now, 7% now, and the rest we'll do in the third year. Mm. That'll be after the election, and then it's Labour's problem. But wouldn't it also be right to say that this claim that they've lost 31.7% over the last 15 years is basically cobblers, right? Because these are people who can make an awful lot of money by doing extra work, by doing extra shifts. They work on a very small, tight rotor, which is only something like 36 and a half hours a week. And everybody knows they can do more than that if they wish. And if they do do more than that, they get an awful lot more money. And the hidden benefit that they have is the pension that they get uh, and, the, and, the, and the holidays that they get and all of the benefits and the packages that they get. And none of that ever gets mentioned. No, I, I mean, there is a problem with gauging what the average income of a junior doctor is, because oh. the title junior doctor is, is very misleading. Yeah, of it course, a bit like the BMA. Yeah, well, it includes, you know, the first first year uh, house of you know, kids just out of uh, university on the wards um, through to uh, very senior registrars whose next job will be a consultant. So mm. you're going from 80, 90,000 a year down to the 23, 24. Right. So it's very hard to tell. I think you know fr from the 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 calculation con uh, is concerned. They're using the retail price index, um, and the government uh, say they should be using the consumer price index over that period. Doesn't matter how you do it and how you factor it in. They they have their wages have not kept pace with the value of of 
with well the, the 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 value of their wage packet is not kept not kept pace and you have to say okay well why is that mm. and you know if they say okay well we've not had a decent pay rise in 10 years well actually where's the bma been in the last 10 years yeah They've i mean been, why are they only the, suddenly saying now that they haven't been paid you know 37.5 percent of a pay rise over 13 years what, what have they been doing yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the, the BMA and to some extent, one well, the same extent, really, the RCN have been asleep at the wheel. If you look at the train drivers, you know, the train drivers are on strike now. And I know there's a big argy bargy going on. But the, in the same period, the train drivers income over that last 10 years has gone up. I think I'm right in saying by about 40 percent. Now, that's because, you know, they've got a very sharp trade union. It's not all been achieved by strike action. A lot of it's mm. good negotiation and good industrial relations. The NHS doesn't really have a proper industrial relations mechanism. It has the pay review bodies, right. which are supposed to distance the frontline claims with ministers. And they're supposed to sort of look at it academically, take into account a load of factors and say, this is the figure we think is fair. The trouble is they take a huge amount of time to do it. They take months to do it. Mm. I think a lot of the calculations is a bit out of date. And to be fair, the, the RCN, as part of their deal, had a deal that the pay review bodies would be reviewed. And I think I think even the pay review bodies realise they have to be reviewed. So that was a step forward. But of course, now that's lost because the nurses have thrown the whole lot up in the air. Yeah. It's a real mess. I don't know who's going to fix it. Roy, thanks very much indeed. Roy Lilly there, former NHS Trust Chairman, uh, talking to us about latest uh, news on the doctor's strike. 36 hours uh, out in the middle of this week. Um, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a nightmare. Let us know if you've had something cancelled. Let us know if you've had a procedure that now will not go ahead. If you've got a relative who was going to go into hospital who now isn't. I don't understand how you can be a doctor and refuse to work. I just think it's completely wrong. I think it's completely analogous to uh, uh, the worst scenario that any NHS worker can have. And quite frankly, the British Medical Association, which is the union, the Marxists who run uh, the union for doctors, should be ashamed of themselves. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up a little bit later on in the hour, we'll be doing the world of woke because uh, uh, there's a few weather-related stories that we need to talk about. Greta Thunberg said five years ago uh, that we'd need to stop uh, all fossil fuel use uh, before the world came to an end in five years roughly speaking, uh, which, of course, it hasn't done yet. There are going to be some thunderstorms, though, so you might get some wet feet, uh, you might even get some wet hair, you might even get a wet shirt, but I think you'll probably be OK. We all managed to survive and live through uh, the heat wave at the weekend uh, where Sky News decided it was such a big uh, event that 30 degrees was worth reporting as breaking news. Extraordinary. But as if there wasn't enough breaking news over the weekend, we're going to speak now to Tom Newton-Dunn, uh, Talk TV's very own man, of course, who presents first edition every night at 10pm. Uh, the Tories are self-imploding Front page of the Times this morning, Johnson saying, I've been blocked from sharing WhatsApps. Trevor Kavanagh saying, could a reformed Boris lead reform uh, in the sun? Tom, um, it was quite a weekend, wasn't it? Good afternoon, Mike. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? It was quite a spectacular weekend. And guess what? It's still going on into, what is this? I guess you could call it week two now. Yeah. Uh, the latest development, Mike, you were playing out the, the clips there in the news. Rishi Sunak, and we can, we can unpack what went on over the weekend, but... Rishi Sunak was asked about this. He's giving a speech on text this morning, asked about, you know, did he let Boris Johnson down? Did he betray him over the honours list? Could he have done more to save him, etc.? And normally, prime ministers walk a country mile to try and escape a row yeah. with their predecessors. 
This one this morning actually leaned into this fight. He said, as you just said, Boris Johnson asked me to do something I didn't want to do, which we know is to intervene and, and appoint all these people he wanted peers, including our very own Nadine Dorries. Uh, and he said, I didn't think that was right. I want to run a different government. But crucially, he then wanted to say, and if people don't like that, then tough. That is fighting talk, Mike, if you know I've ever heard it. Yes, it absolutely is. And Boris Johnson, we're told, is seething about all of this. I mean, it all started, just to take you back to Friday, I had Nadine Dorries on the show in the morning when she said, uh, I would never want to cause a by-election, that would be wrong. Um, I got a phone call in the afternoon, I was driving down to Sussex, and somebody said to me, didn't Nadine Dorries say she wasn't going to cause a by-election? Well, she's just resigned. And I was like, sorry, I don't know what's going on. And then Boris resigns because he doesn't like the look of the Parliamentary uh, Standards Committee coming down the pike. We still don't really know anything about that. And then we see Grant Shapps on uh, the Laura Kunzberg show yesterday morning denying that anybody from Rishi Sunak's team, and I think we all know who they're talking about, changed any of the names on the list. So, I mean, what's the word on that? Do you think that these lists have been changed? Do you think names have been removed? Well, uh, you're completely right. So I'm trying to unpack this. There are two things going here. One is the Privileges Committee report. That is the real reason Boris Johnson has walked. Uh, We can come back to that. But on the row over the House of Lords, which the Prime Minister himself, the current Prime Minister, I should say, is fueling Mm. this morning, pouring rocket fuel on that. I can only guess because he thinks he's going to win this one. But on that... There was clearly a major disagreement between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson in terms of who promised what. Boris clearly thought that Rishi had agreed to weigh through whatever names he wanted on this peerage list. Boris Johnson wanted something like 15. House of Lords uh, Appointments Commission, HOLAC, as it's being called, only wanted eight. Uh, and clearly, uh, Boris Johnson wanted Rishi to intervene and, and give the peerages to his mates, Nadine Doris, Nigel Adams, etc. They were clearly left at odds after a pretty crucial meeting last week, beginning of last week. Boris left it thinking Rishi was going to do what he wanted to do. Rishi Sunak said he made it clear he wasn't going to do that. I just repeated that publicly this morning. So, you know, that, that is an unfortunate row. Right. I think it, it, to be honest, I would park it a bit because it's a bit of a sidetrack about Boris's mates getting pressures or not, which much of the country is probably less bothered about. I think what's really interesting here is why Boris Johnson walked and furthermore, what is the future for him? And, and that appears to be rescinding quite quickly this morning. People who are his allies appear not to be his allies anymore. Nigel Adams, one of the three MPs, including Boris Johnson, who resigned to trigger a by-election. He did it on Saturday morning. An incredibly hostile act to a sitting prime minister, walking away, removing your support, and thereby opening a seat up to be taken by Labour or the Lib Dems. It is as bad as damaging mm-hmm. as it can get. Nigel Adams himself wrote back last night, issued a big statement to say, well, actually, despite the fact I'm stepping down, I think Rishi Sunak needs to be re-elected as Prime Minister and I'll do my all to support him. So, you know, if this was supposed to be the great... It's not a coup d'etat, it's more of a giant suicide bombing. Yeah. Those bombs appear to be rescinded or have not gone off. That's, that's you know, one out of the three. So, Although I suppose it depends, doesn't it? Because if the three by-elections happen and the three by-elections are lost uh, by the Tories, which I assume you would predict that they will be, um, we then find ourselves going into a general election uh, with a man who's been heavily damaged, Rishi Sunak. And if he loses that, the Tories, you know better than me, uh, will, will knife him in the back next and then they'll want Boris back. Well, they might, Mike. I think that's a, there's a, that's a big if going on there. Um, it's really interesting observing, chronicling the support for Boris and what MPs uh, who were his you know, closest allies are now saying about him, what they've done about him. Remember, there was a big litmus test for all this uh, a couple of months back with Rishi Sunak's Northern Ireland protocol. 
well, his brand new deal uh, to, to get Brexit to work better in Northern Ireland. Boris Johnson, as did Liz Truss, the other predecessor prime minister. Let's not forget, she served for 49 days as well. Uh, they all walked through lobbies trying to oppose this. And only 20, 20 MPs, including those two, walked through the lobbies with them. And, and that was seen at the time as Boris's support amongst MPs evaporating quite a bit. So you read the ruins, you hear what a lot of MPs are saying. There are really one or two MPs I can think of who are prepared to go on the record and say, this is all a terrible mess, we should never let Boris go now. I think MPs generally have turned against Boris. Mm. They don't think he's the future anymore and they may not want him back. Now, the members, Mike, is really interesting because, you know, they obviously, the 200,000 people who make up the membership of the Conservative Party, you're right, there does seem to be far more warmth and anger uh, amongst them. They do still like Boris. They do still think he's been betrayed. Uh, and that is a, a very dangerous dynamic for the Conservative mm. Party when they have their members against the leadership. Whether that then plays out to them wanting Boris back as leader after potentially the Tories lose a pretty damaging general election, I think it's just a, a giant if. I mm. don't see Boris Johnson coming back uh, in a by-election uh, before this parliament ends over the next 18 months. Not least, I think Rishi Sunak would probably block that. He needs Sunak's permission, CCHQ's permission to stand as a candidate. And, you know, those two are now openly feuding on the airwaves. So that, I think, is highly unlikely. Could Boris be seen as the, the, the salvation in, in 18 months, two years' time? Well, Mike, if three days over this weekend is a long time in British politics, you know, who knows? Well, yeah, be. absolutely. Well, I said that to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning when she said, why are you talking about this story when it's probably never going to happen? I said, I don't think you can ever say that now in politics, that nothing is ever going to happen, because almost anything is possible now. Uh, even to some extent, Trevor Kavanagh and the Sun this morning writing about, you know, would Boris Johnson think about possibly forming some kind of centre-right coalition with reform? Yeah, that, that, that idea was injected rather neatly into the debate by, who guess who, Nigel yes. Farage. He's <laughs> very good at stirring the pot, isn't he? Yeah. These sort of times well, that's what Michael Howard said, wasn't he? He said he's, he's being mischievous, he's very good at that. I think he is. He's brilliant at it. I mean, there's no one better in the country at it, of, of, of punching Tory bruises when they're down and all that. But, you know, Trevor wrote a great column in The Sun this morning, actually. And Trevor's argument was, OK, it's an interesting idea. But, you know, A, to form a new political party. I mean, there is, of course, the Reform Party led by Richard Tice. That's still around. Farage at the moment is sort of uh, tent tentatively involved in it, but not leading it. For Boris Johnson to either join that one or begin his own new one is a monumental, monumentally difficult thing to do. And Trevor's point was, you know, to do that, you need an intense amount of organisation and tactics and hard work and an eye to detail. And Trevor's point was, is that, is that are those the characteristics we associate closely <laughs> with Boris and, and the answer I think we can all probably say is no. So so that option looks unlikely. I think Boris Johnson, to be honest to me, is trying to play the Winston Churchill card. His great hero, he's always based himself on the renegade who goes back into the political wilderness and, and then his party comes begging for him right. at its hour of need. Now, the last time the Conservative Party did that was 1940. It wasn't just the hour of need for the Conservative Party, it was the hour of need for the country. Obviously we're involved in a, in a, in a world war against Nazism. We are very far away indeed from that sort of scenario. Yeah. And I think we'd probably all admit Boris Johnson isn't quite Winston Churchill either. He's not. He sees himself, though, clearly as some kind of international statesman. I mean, you know, he considers himself to be the man that helped Ukraine fight Russia single-handedly, practically, before everybody else in NATO. He went to America to see Donald Trump, um, not, uh, not Joe Biden. You know, he definitely has this idea of himself as, a, as an international kind of uh, diplomatic giant, doesn't he? 
Yeah, he does. And do you know what? He's probably got a bit of right to think of himself like that. On Ukraine, he was excellent. I thought he, was, he, he offered exemplary leadership on that when he was in number 10 and arguably afterwards. You know, he went to have dinner with Donald Trump last week or the week before to try yeah. and persuade him, don't give up on Ukraine. And Boris Johnson was the most prominent world leader calling for support for Zelensky and, and the Ukrainians yeah. as they support the Russians. So, you know, he's, he's got a good argument for that. And he's very experienced on the international stage. That, however... Aren't necess- isn't necessarily the most uh, important qualifications to be a good PM. You know, PMs love, ex-PMs especially, they love grandstanding, walking the world stage and, you know, look at me hobnobbing with the Henry Kissingers and mm. the Donald Trumps of this world. That's not really what we need from a Prime Minister right now. That That's clearly an important add-on. But a Prime Minister who can grip the, you know, immense problems the country's in, our, our economy's in a terrible state, inflation's still high, how on earth are we going to keep on funding the health service and our pensions with an ageing demographic, these monumental mm. problems, immigration, stopping the small boats, we've had those record new numbers over the weekend, you know, that is the sort of thing I think Boris Johnson had a crack at once already, and on a lot of those he wasn't seen to seem to have done uh, brilliantly. Would the Tory party, would all those Tory members want to give him a second chance with all the other water under the bridge? It, it's, to me, receivingly unlikely. OK. Don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, did you ever attend a Silvio Berlusconi bunga bunga party? No, I didn't. No, it's kind of you to, <laughs> to suggest that I'm the sort that even could have, Mike. I'll take that. But no, I didn't. I did go to a few press conferences, uh, G7s and G20 summits when I was following David Cameron around. He was uh, PM and I was a political editor. And... Berlusconi, when he overlapped with a couple of our prime ministers now, but he, he always added some colour to these things. EU summits, mm. for those when we remember the EU. Yeah. Uh, Berlusconi, he would always take a press conference and, and up, up overturn the table, if you like, and say something controversial. He once said something staggeringly controversial about Angela Merkel, which is unrepeatable, <laughs> these airwaves. But he was an extraordinary character, absolutely extraordinary, um, incredibly colourful. Someone said this morning he seduced the entirety of Italy. Mm. Uh, and someone also said he screwed the entirety of yes. Italy, which a, a former son front page. So huge character, potentially a model for the likes of Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, mm. the sort of populist leader who sort of creates his own narrative mm. by sheer charm and, and personality. Did he do Italy much good? That's probably for the Italians to judge, but certainly a, a large figure on the world stage. Yeah. And his passing, I think, you know, we will all remember from Bunga Bunga, uh, but I think he represents a bit more than that. That's the, the rise of populism and, yes. and capital politics. And, you know, I'd certainly miss that much about him. Absolutely right. We'll see you at 10 o'clock tonight, Tom. Thank you very much indeed. Thank Tom you. Newton Dunn. Uh, he was up with first edition, with all the first editions of the papers at 10 o'clock tonight, right here on Talk TV, uh, following on from Piers Morgan, uh, from, from Jeremy Carl, and from the talk, of course, as well. Let's go to the phones. Gareth is in Derbyshire. Hi, Gareth. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. What can I do for you? It's a beautiful day. We even have summer in Derbyshire, you know. It's, well, uh, apparently it's there's wonderful. going to be thunderstorms all over the place soon, so uh, you better be yeah. careful. Keep your eyes on the yeah. skies. Yeah. Now, they, they've gone passed away, I think. I think it's just 25 degrees and it's wonderful. Lovely, lovely. But, uh, I, I was listening to, was it Helen at the top of the hour? Helen, yes. Your, what a woman. Yeah, what a woman. I think she, you should give her a gold medal. And I tell you what, uh, Mike, people in the Conservative Party who run the elections yes. and such like should listen to Helen because think about how many people voted for Boris as opposed to the Conservative Party in yeah. 2019 like Helen. Yes. Now, if you take those away, because what have they got, 368 MPs? Yeah. You know, somebody would be able to do the maths and see how many would be left. Right. And what makes me laugh, when they won the election in 2019, immediately after that, 
about a third of the Conservative MPs, most of whom were Remainers, mm. like people like Dominic Grieve, yes. never supported Boris and tried to undermine him from right. day one. Now, well, Tobias Elwood's still there and he's still doing it. Exactly. Now, it's interesting that I've just heard your previous correspondent saying that a lot of the MPs are sort of turning away from Boris. Yeah. Well, let them sit there and let them wait for another year because they're sitting on the fat £85,000 a year salary yeah. um, because there's going to be an election coming. And those, you know, I find it alarming. I think the MP in Amber Valley turned away from Boris, but he's got his Boris to thank for his seat. Yeah. He's got about a 20,000 majority. You know, that'll melt away. Right. Where would the Conservatives be when they're sitting in Parliament with between 200 and 220 MPs? Because they won't be very well, will they? They won't. And they'll be out of power for a while if they're not careful. And, you know, have they got any chance of winning the next election in the current setup? I mean, I, I think they've, they've got one chance, and that is that Keir Starmer is so unbelievably bland and sort of un, un sort of popular. Uh, as it were, as an individual, as a leader, and as as a kind of a, a person with any conviction of any kind, he's hated by half of his own party as well. I think that's the yeah. way, that's the only chance that they've got. If they can make that uh, a, a virtue for the Tories, they might just do it. And would you go to Ladbrokes and bet on that happening? Um, I would. Yeah, I think so. I would. I well, think it's the only chance that they've got. Yeah. And I mean, if yeah. I was currently running Downing Street's PR machine, I'd be I'd be going for to secure Starmer every single day of the week. But I think the Conservative Party need to start to look at people like Helen yeah. and try and make them want to vote for them again. Absolutely. And, the, and, only, the only yeah. other thing I would say, and I agree with everything you've said, Gareth, is that I would say to Rishi Sunak, take the Conservative Party back to being a Conservative Party. Listen to Ellen, listen to what she yeah. wants, listen to what she said about immigration, about law and order, about low taxes, about being you know, brave and, and, and forward-thinking and being a leader and bringing Britain back, because it can come back. But I'm wondering, I worry that it might have to go a really, really bad way down before it comes back. But that could happen. Gareth, thank you very much indeed for your call. I've got to run, and we're running slightly late. We've got lots of great messages coming in, more calls to take as well, of course. And we've got the world of woke, the weather. It's going to be woke weather today. This is Talk TV. The world of woke. The world of woke. Now, it will come as no surprise to you uh, that we're going to talk about the weather, because, of course, the weather has been, apart from all the political shenanigans that we been going on all weekend, the weather has been very much in the news, right? We have been told uh, that it's very, very hot. Now, some of you will know that it's very, very hot. Some of you might even have noticed that you had to wear some quite light clothing uh, and put on some sun cream. Some of you might have even gone for a swim. There were pictures over the weekend about... All sorts of people jumping into rivers, jumping off waterfalls, jumping into the sea. But how about this? Greta Thunberg uh, has put out a tweet, or did put out a tweet in 2018, who said this. A top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Now, that's been doing the rounds on social media uh, pretty much all weekend. But the date, 2018, of course, is how many years ago? Five years ago. Um, so we're still here, though, apparently. So humanity has not all been wiped out, thank goodness. But I'll tell you what has happened. Uh, we've been told that there's amber weather warnings. We've been told that people are going to die. If it gets to 30 degrees, people are going to overheat to such an extent that it's going to be awful. None of that's happened, right? I actually got back to London last night 
and it was 28 degrees, 29 degrees, and it was actually cooler than I expected. I thought it was going to be roasting, and it really wasn't too bad. Didn't even need the fan, to all extent and purposes. Um, today, it's about 28, 29 degrees, and it likely is going to go down to about 23 degrees. What I say is bring it on. The summer is a wonderful thing. It's great that we've got the summer. Meanwhile, of course, those other maniacs, Just Stop Oil, have basically wasted more taxpayers' money. £4.5 million is the cost to the police of what they've been doing over the last few weeks. I don't know quite what the police have been doing for £4.5 quid because they haven't been arresting them much. They've been arresting a few of them. But I say this, give the bill to Dale Vince. We had Dale Vince on the show last week. Charming man. Um, I don't agree with anything he says, but I do like the way he argues, and he does make me laugh. However, this is now getting serious. We haven't got £4.5 quid to spare, so we need Dale to come in and pass the money, write a cheque to the Metropolitan Police and say, here's your four and a half million back. We'll continue to uh, demonstrate, but I will I forfeit this money because I think it's only right that the taxpayers don't have to. And I think that's important, isn't it? That is the world of work. The world of work. And there you have it. The world of woke. It gets worse and worse and worse every day. Let's talk to Alex Crowley, former advisor to Boris Johnson. Uh, we spoke to Tom Newton Dunn a little bit earlier on. Um, he was kind of poo-pooing the row between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. I'm not sure uh, he's quite right to do that, because this is a blood feud, ladies and gentlemen. They haven't finished yet. So let's find out from Alex how it's going to end up. Alex, a very good afternoon to you. Hello. Nice to see you. Um, Boris Johnson doesn't seem to be very happy. In fact, some might say he's hopping mad. What's he going to do next, do you think? Uh, I think he's going to he's going to lie low. He's decided to resign as an MP. He's removed himself from the arena. Not, I think it's fair to say, because of the row about honours, which is you know is a bit of a silly row, really, and mm-hmm. is not a row that most people will will have any time for, frankly. Um, but because, of course, the uh, Standards Committee report, uh, which he had, which he knows is going to be very hard on him, and he wanted to avoid all of the uh, process that he would have been dragged through because of that. He obviously contends that the committee has a political bias against him. Uh, I think there is some truth to that. However, I think it's also fair to say that he has very much, you know, he's, he's made his own mess here, hasn't he? Because uh, if he'd adjust at the beginning of this party gate crisis, that seems like an age ago now, of course. Well, if of he'd course. Just come out and said, listen, I'm sorry, there were things that, that happened that shouldn't have happened, if he'd just said that, we wouldn't have been in this mess and he'd still be Prime Minister. Do you think, though, because I think the trouble with Boris Johnson is that people do have a sort of vitriolic hatred of him, and I don't really understand why, um, in the same way that some people in politics seem incapable of talking to others who they don't like or they disagree with for some reason, because something's obviously changed, because when he did appear before that committee, the word was... Uh, it seems to me anyway, that he was going to get a slap on the on, on the wrist. He was going to be told that he would be suspended, but probably not long enough from Parliament to have to force a by-election. And then suddenly he's resigned because he heard that it was probably going to be long enough for him to have to have a by-election. He didn't want to go through that process. So so what did change, if, if anything, and why did it change? I'd say the reason why he is hated by uh, some of his former colleagues, and that's this. Um, There is a large part of the Whitehall establishment, the media and Parliament as well, that will never forgive him for delivering Brexit. They will never forgive him for campaigning for the referendum and they'll never forgive him for for taking over the government when he did 
and driving that through and winning a massive uh, AC majority uh, off the back of it. Before they disliked him because they thought he was a clown. Uh, now it's much more serious. They dislike him because they delivered the one thing that they cannot recon reconcile themselves with. And whilst I will completely acknowledge he has his flaws and many of them, and I certainly don't blindly defend him, uh, it, it, I also say that um, it is that blinkered approach around Brexit mm. that has meant that his opponent don't just want to didn't just want to remove him from Downing Street; they wanted to remove him from Parliament. And again, I will make clear, a lot of this is, is of his own making. I don't buy the kind of conspiracy narrative um, that, that, you know, there was a little bit too much of in his resignation statement. Yes. Yeah, although, uh, I, 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 I mean, I, I take your point, but but Alex, you, you know as well as I do, there is a certain derangement syndrome going on there, which is a bit yeah. like the Donald Trump derangement syndrome. People get very worked up. In the same way, I mean, I, I battle with the old Ramonas every weekend on Twitter, um, and it was the case, and I put this out one, uh, one time on Saturday, they used to say I didn't have any listeners, now they say that I've got listeners, but they're all stupid. You know, I mean, it just kind of the narrative sort of moves for them. But I think he was right to point out, was he not, that he may have trusted people when he shouldn't have, like Sue Gray. Like he appointed Sue Gray thinking that she was going to be a neutral um, and incredibly uh, um, sort of integrity-filled individual who was going to investigate the, the, the real truth about Partygate. And it now turns out that she was working for Keir Starmer all along. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, he was in, in, in many ways incredibly naive. And in, in, in a funny old way, it shows just how, how little concerned he was about his own fate, that he was happy to place it in the hands of someone who was obviously, although at the time we didn't know that she was going to work for Starmer, um, it, nevertheless, placing your fate in the hands of a civil servant, and let's face it, there are not many civil servants who, who love the Tories these days, uh, although what they really should do is wait until the election like the rest of us if they want to have their say on that. Um, uh, but yes, in many ways, he was incredibly naive um, to do that, as he acknowledged in his resignation statement. But like, it's, it's been a whole litany of errors. Um, like I say, it, it has been a, a, a mess of his, partly of his own creation. Um, and, and, and this is where we've ended up, sadly. But the, the, the thing is, the thing that a lot of his opponents Cannot, can never accept and can never get their heads around is that every time his name has been on a ballot paper, uh, he has emerged usually victorious. Um, and that's the one thing they've never properly engaged with. Mm. Uh, and I suspect that were his name on a ballot paper today, not necessarily saying it would be uh, hugely popular, but I think it would surprise a lot of people as to how many votes he would actually get. And that's what he's relying on. If right. he ambitions to come back and the ambition may be great, but the reality is probably small. Um, he'll rely on the fact that people will look at him and think, OK, there were problems, but boy, could he win. And does some of that depend, do you think, Alex, on how Sunak does, effectively, not just in the three by-elections, but in the next general election? I mean, if Sunak gets battered, you know, there's a much higher chance, you would imagine, that Boris would be the man that they would look to. Yes, if uh, Rishi Sunak can't deliver an election victory um, for the Conservatives, and, and look, I hope he does. You know, I actually happen to think he's got a reasonably sensible plan and he should be given the time and space to deliver it. But if he can't deliver that, and let, let's face it, you look at the polls and, and it doesn't look massively likely at the moment, then the Conservatives are going to have another soul-searching moment. And the question will be, well, what, is, what, what does the next version of the Tory party need to be? 
And if you think about it, the Tory party took 20 years to emerge from the shadow of Margaret Thatcher, the party's last great election winner. Uh, and I think it will probably, it, it may not take the party 20 years to emerge from Boris's shadow, but I think it will still take a while. And yes, you're right. There will be a temptation if the Conservatives go into opposition, even though Boris won't be in Parliament. There'll be, there'll be plenty of sore MPs who will be just, you know, looking figuratively across the water and thinking, hmm, maybe he's the guy, maybe we need to get him back. Maybe if Starmer wins a, a smaller majority than is expected, uh, there will be a temptation and he will be yeah. in the discussion. Uh, and, and that's that's going to be a very interesting period. Yeah. I mean, I said, I, I've said to people, I don't think Boris Johnson wants to be the leader of the Tory party in opposition. Um, will he sort of perhaps between now and that general election result have moved on to something else? What's, I mean, what's his kind of well, ambition is that, is, as far as that goes? I mean, he might well have done. Um, obviously, he will go off and write books and make speeches and, and yeah. I dare say earn a lot of money. Have a few more kids, probably. Well, who knows? Uh, 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 you know, we won't know how much money he earns, of course, because he won't be in Parliament. And, and so, he, you know, he, he well, we won't have that transparency. But look, in many ways, I've always thought that leader of the opposition was probably a better job for him in many ways. Because if you think about it, you don't actually have to run anything, but you do get to put on quite a show. Mm. Um, and, and he's quite good. I mean, you can imagine him turning up at PMQs every week and, 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 and you know, really giving it to Starmer. Right. Um, look, obviously, he wants to be king of the castle, doesn't he? You know, he, he probably thinks he can get back to number 10 in some way. Um, uh, you know, so yes, leader of the opposition perhaps wouldn't be his ideal. But he may see it as a, route, as a route back. Who knows? There's also an argument as well, which I understand, that perhaps the Conservative Party now needs to accept that the era of Boris is over and it needs to move on and it needs to have a sensible discussion about what comes next in the absence of him. Um, and I do also think there's something to that as yes. well. Yes. I mean, they could do with finding somebody with a Conservative heart, which at the moment well, it, is sadly lacking. Well, exactly, because, you know, the frustration of a lot of natural Conservative supporters and members alike is that we've had 10 years of Conservative-led government and we're still waiting for a Tory government. Um, and that's the argument that Boris alluded to, of course, in his, in his resignation. Yeah. And yes, that, that debate actually about the future of the party is happening already. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, not, it, it's not being put on hold. And there is a desire to say, well, you know, if we're, are we going to settle as a country for another 10 years of kind of high taxing, high spending, kind of corporatist, mm. uh, net zero, all the rest of it, uh, it, it uh, you know, low growth, low productivity. Um, are we just going to settle for that? Because that's obviously what Labour will do. It's sort of what the Tories are doing at the moment, albeit with some important differences, particularly on, on stopping the boats, um, which will be a big dividing line. Um, but why should the Conservatives hate that? Isn't the point of having another party to differentiate itself no. from the other lot shouldn't there be a, more of a choice i think that will be a very strong debate and particularly if the tories go into opposition there will be a feeling of well we just need to get back to our right. true values and of course there will be an argument as to what those mm. true values really are yeah um, I've, I've always thought that's what may happen it may be a good thing for them to be out of it for a while in opposition alex good to talk to you i've got to run alex crowley former advisor to boris johnson there like me believes that there needs to be a fight for conservatism there needs to be somebody with a conservative heart leading the tory party because at the end of the day 
There is no Conservative Party at the moment that you can vote for. 0344 499 1000. I'm getting some breaking news that um, Hamza Youssef will not suspend Nicola Sturgeon, despite the fact that she was quizzed for seven hours yesterday by the police, uh, and despite the fact that some MPs inside the SNP are calling for it. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.